0: So first of all, it has to be data oriented. In that sense, it has to be something that um, is a spreadsheet, is a database, is something like that, um, and obviously it has to come from an appropriate source. Uh, so once you have that, then we're looking at looking at that data, and we're trying to think. Okay, obviously, no one wants to read a two hundred page report. Nobody wants to be handed a giant spreadsheet and be like, here, look at this, and try and figure out what's going on. Right? Like that's just not the way that people operate. Right? So people. Um, People are looking for something that catches their eye um, because the first thing you have to do is you have to win their attention right so we have to figure out what is the thing that's going to catch their eye and once you have their attention what do you what do you hit them with right so we're looking for facts we're looking for data that stands out in that way and once we have the the item that we think can do that then we we build a framework around that um, we build an media angle around that. Um, so it's all about winning people's attention, holding their attention. Um, once you have their attention, you have to hit them with something that delivers insight and and gets them to keep reading and, and keep looking. And so we're, we're really just building a process around that. So we're looking at that to try and... Um, create that or stimulate that curiosity in people so that you have this fact or you have this um, initial visualization that captures people's attention and gets them to want to learn more and gets them rather than being stuck in your bubble and and just you know consuming what is coming your way you actually want to actively seek out more information so that you can learn more on the subject for me and from our company's perspective our, our view is basically like we're trying to take things that are complex and make them simple. Generally speaking, it's about stuff that's future looking. Um, and it's stuff that relates to, if you're a, an investor, it's your portfolio. Or if you're in business, it's your company's future. If you're an entrepreneur, it's um, how you need to build your business for the future or you know that kind of stuff, right? So it's like, what, what can we help people with in terms of the decisions they make now with respect to their future. So the speed of technological change is important, the speed of economic change is important. So like, um, is GDP per capita increasing or decreasing? And why? Uh, Is trade increasing or decreasing? Um, So looking at those factors, business segments generally, right? Um, So is this particular industry taking off? Uh, Something like cannabis, right? Is this industry taking off? Or is it you know, going to hit a lull? And so people are trying to figure out what opportunities there are in the future based on these um, you know, emerging industries or emerging countries or, or what have you, and you have to know if they're for real or not. So yeah, it's the rate of change, but it's a, a, across a wide spectrum of different categories. Because that's it's something that's measurable, and it's also something that we can visualize, right? So uh, from that perspective, that, and that's kind of like, yeah, that's the number one thing that we'd be looking at
1: someone's opinion may contradict yours. Where's my friend Alan? It's all about your perspective. Who are we and what is the nature of this reality? Five, four, three, What's up everyone, welcome to Simulation, I'm your host Alan Sakyan. We are still on site in the beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. We are now going to be talking about data visualization and so much more. We have Jeff Desjardins joining us on the show. Hi Jeff. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the program. I'm so pumped for our conversation. Jeff is founder and editor-in-chief at Visual Capitalist, which is a digital media company that exclusively publishes rich visual content on investing in business. With annual user growth doubling each year, Visual Capitalist reaches over 2 million people per month with clients such as McKinsey, BlackRock, the UN, and the World Bank. I love what you guys do. I love the way you make these rich data visualizations it is so important to take the complexity of this world that we find ourselves in and try and make it relatable for people and to try and inspire them towards their own self-actualization, towards our eradication of ignorance. And you guys do that. And you do it across a myriad of fields, which is another thing that I find super inspirational as our show is very polymathic like that as well. Jeff, this has been going on nine years now. You guys have covered such a wide array of topics. You guys have 21 people and staff, designers, researchers. I mean, it's so cool seeing what you guys have produced. So I wanna start things off by asking you about how you guys even find what to figure out to show in the complexity of the world. There's so many things, there's so much information actually being able to structure that and disseminate it. Teach us about that style of process and also how it changed from nine years ago until now.
0: Yeah, wow. Uh, So I I think that that process started as something that was really more of a gut instinct than anything else. Uh, So when we started and how we got to where we are today, it was kind of finding things that we thought were particularly interesting or that really, help people get that little bit of insight that could be either, you know, water cooler talk at the office or it's the thing that inspires them to do the next big thing, right? And getting people to have that little tidbit of information that they can now talk about, whether it's, you know, that fact or that insight or, or whatever it is, um, you know, we want to deliver that on a daily basis to people. And so that's, it's changed over time, which is weird. Um, It was very intuitive to begin with, and we were just kind of looking at what was catching our eye, what what was something that we're like, when you heard that fact, you're like, wow, that's something that uh, really inspired me or got me to think. And over time, we've been working to codify how we come up with that, And because now we have a bigger team, and so we have other people that have to be coming up with this stuff on a daily basis as well. It can't be me or... Um, someone like Nick Routley, who's our, our managing editor, we can't be coming up with it all the time. We have to be it has to be something that's systemic uh, throughout the organization, where we're all looking for that kind of information. Um, so, how has that changed over time, and and what is it like today? Um, that's an interesting question, and I think that probably um, the best way to do it would be to think about it in terms of uh, of data, which is how we always think about things, right? So. Um, things that are, are very qualitative or things that are opinions or things that are um, not looking at it from a, a quantifiable independent perspective uh, for those items they just don't really work with our process so first of all it has to be data-oriented in that sense it has to be something that um, is a spreadsheet is a database is something like that um, and obviously it has to come from an appropriate source uh, so once you have that then we're looking at Looking at that data, and we're trying to think. Okay, obviously, no one wants to read a 200-page report. Nobody wants to be handed a giant spreadsheet and be like, "Here, look at this," and try and figure out what's going on. Right? Like that's just not the way that people operate. Right? So people, um, people are looking for something that catches their eye, um, because the first thing that you have to do is you have to win their attention. Right? So we have to figure out what is the thing that's going to catch their eye, and once you have their attention, what do you what do you hit them with, right? So we're looking for facts, we're looking for data that stands out in that way. And once we have the the item that we think can do that, then we we build a framework around that. Um, we build an, a media angle around that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all about winning people's attention, holding their attention. Um, once you have their attention, you have to hit them with something that delivers insight and and gets them to keep reading and, and keep looking. And so we're we're really just building a process around that.
1: I love how you put it from the perspective of this. In when you di- when you give them some sort of data visualization. It's about catalyzing some sort of inspiration or further awakening or realization that then makes it fun for them to go and share it with other people to say that, hey, I now know this. It's become part of my knowledge base. And now I share it with other people and they go, wow, I didn't know that. And it makes for a more aware world, a more uh, factual world, a world where ignorance can decrease at a more rapid rate and collective... uh, uh, objective knowledge can increase at a more rapid pace, which is extremely needed. And then I also like how you put it, how through the evolution of visual capitalists, there's there's been a process where uh, you guys have to figure out it's been, you know, you you are a part of the attention economy, as, as are we, and, and it's it's not only, you know, people see that you're here to catalyze that inspiration and that awakening, so they want to work with you, they want to watch what you're doing, but furthermore is you do have to figure out how to make it so that this 100-page um, this report on a specific topic, you do what we do in many ways which is you have to parse it for the most profound most awakening stats and then you have to visualize you have to visually represent it for people in a way where they go wow that was good and there's so many different ways to visually represent it and i would love for you to actually explain um those ways as uh as many people just see like Uh, pie charts as like such a common mathematical representation, uh, bar graphs, there's uh, many of these different ways to represent um, data Um, and uh, infographics have become really popular where it's you know multiple uh, percentages with visualizations along the way and um, so Let's have you explain the process of when you do encounter something that's super profound and awakening You want to then parse it you want to then uh, uh, Represent that data and how do you pick what medium to represent it as?
0: Yeah, that's a great question and it the answer really varies uh, Depending on what type of information it is and and what the subject matter is and, and how you want to get that message out to people so for us Lately, we're trending towards uh, doing things that are more. I mean, in the social media world, uh, where you're just looking at a, something on Instagram or some a tweet or whatever, like you really need to capture people's attention with that thing. You can't expect something that's kind of, um, you know, just a, a part of something bigger to be what drives people in to read more and, and implores them to. Um, to examine a a topic deeper. So what we're looking for is is first of all what is that one tidbit that we can pull that's going to capture people's attention. Um, To do that I think that it's really an examination of what what fact is going to be something that triggers something in in someone's mind, um, that triggers insight or gets them thinking, or it's something that they've never heard before. Um, And and to figure that out, you have to really have a good sense of the media environment. You have to have a sense of who your audience is. Um, And and as I said, at first, that was a gauge that was fairly um, intuitive that I was operating on, which was like, okay, I think that our audience is going to be really surprised to learn that, for example, um, the median age uh, on all continents, when you look at that, the median age of Africa is 18 years old. 18 That's years a old. crazy fact, right? Yes, yes, yes. And you know, when you look at something like that, I, for me, it just jumps off the page, and I'm like, if we show this in in an appropriate way, uh, for example, the way that we did show that is we used um, you know colors to represent the scale of median age across all the different continents, and of course, Africa stands out by its col- color.
1: And Compared to about 35 or so as the median Right. Media and
0: and Europe is even older. It's uh, in the 40s. And so you have this color spectrum where everything is, yeah, 30s and 40s, and then you have one that clearly stands out. And so we're thinking about it not only in terms of that, the, the fact that um, is important, but also, like, when we visualize it, how are we going to pull that out, and uh, what devices can we use? Which, as you alluded to, you know, we, we have a variety of different um, you know visual things that we can leverage so like are we putting this in a specific type of chart? Or are we using a map or are we using a particular color, sch- uh, color scheme that's going to help us show this thing? Um, what are the different elements of storytelling that we can uh, yes. implore to tell this right? So are we uh, is it going to be uh, a narrative or is it going to be something that has um you know, characters or archetypes, or like, what, how are we going to actually show this uh, from a storytelling perspective as well? So we're trying to put all these different pieces to the pu- of the puzzle together, and at the end of the day, if we do it right and if we do it the best possible way, it's going to be uh, in the case of that um, the map on median age, it's going to be something that stands out, and you're like, holy crap! I now see that you know, I've, I've not only have you learned this fact about Africa, but it actually um, really. Um, tickles your imagination and now you're like okay well what does that mean for the world yes. what does that uh, mean for the future of um, society and what does that mean for the f- for our perspective what does that mean for the future of business um, so we're looking at that to try and um, create that, or stimulate that curiosity in people so that you have this fact or you have this um, initial visualization that captures people's attention and gets them to want to learn more and gets them, rather than being stuck in your bubble and and just, you know, consuming what is coming your way, you actually want to actively seek out more information so that you can learn more on the subject.
1: I really appreciate how you take something that can be written as a fact of Africa, mid, median age, 18, and just have that be just a message that goes out, which maybe has a, uh, a chance of, 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 of sticking in people's essence uh, at uh, maybe one or two and 10, let's say, whatever, just as a, as a let's play with these numbers. But then when you add the actual visualization component of showing that they are the color, let's say light green uh, on the on the map, and then uh, you have these colors of like like darker red in Europe and US and America's Asia, etc. And then you and then people see that wow and then you have that spectrum that shows them that great that gradient that c- of coloration. Um, it, it, it lands it maybe in three out of four 10 or 4 out of 10 people just with the visual um, in addition to it. So you're already, um, you know, with the text. With the text, exactly. The visual plus the text can land it in more people's essences. It will make it uh, better for them to retain it, share it with people down the line. Um, So that component being crucial. And then also, um, there is a, um, there's a, uh, a, a storytelling component to in which is it's maybe not only about selling it logically but selling it emotionally and so it's kind of like can you pair together the brain with the heart and i really like this way of viewing it because it can be in a sense uh something along the lines of you know africa's median age being 18 and then comma uh how do we how, how, how can we, uh, uh, how, how, how are they going to catalyze the future? Something like that, which, right. yeah, which then kind of gets people excited about, well, interesting. Well then, wh- well, how are they going to catalyze the future then? How is that big imagination explosion going to affect the rest of our world? And then that kind of hits the heart side
0: of things. Right, hitting both sides is really important, right? Because it's all about how people learn and absorb information. And the truth is, is that we do it in so many different ways, and people are all very different, right? Um, so we know, and it, it's our business, that you know, 65% of people are visual learners, right? And so that's the majority of people. And our thought process is that the majority of people are actually not getting most of their information in the way that's best for them to learn, which is actually really tragic, right? Yeah. Um, if we want everybody to learn and to uh, pick up as much information as possible, it needs to be in a format that they're going to pick it up in and if all we're giving them is like here's a long report read it man we've all been to high school right how many people in high school are, are are people that are going to learn that way right a lot of people learn by doing a lot of people learn by visuals a lot of people will learn by audio a podcast right so you have to have different things in different formats for people and so for us, it's about stimulating that visual format for that that large chunk of the population that needs to learn that way. And you're right. You can add in other elements to it. It doesn't have to be purely data. Um, data can be a tool, and it can be a really powerful tool. In a lot of situations, it might not be the best way to lead a story. Uh, other ways, um, or like maybe you want to create context around something, and data isn't the appropriate way to do it. Maybe it's instead a narrative or storytelling, or maybe it's asking a question. Yes.
1: Yes. I like that. So then the combination of the the stat with the combination of the visualization with the combination of the story, the heart, uh, component could land in five out of ten people's, uh, yeah, and it could resonate with that many more people just by by curating the content in a way that um, catalyzes the deepest amount of awareness shift which is ideally um, what we uh, want to see happen with the content um, around the world and creating more signal. I mean we talk about this so much on the program but just the importance of taking these hour-long conversations and compressing them into knowledge graphs Uh, and having one for every single episode. These are things that we want to do as we scale and that by doing that you have this medium that is okay if you do want to watch an hour-long conversation on a subject do it if you want to explore the couple minute uh infographic knowledge graph on what was discussed it's there as well there's a highlight reel of a couple minutes and so you have all these different ways of of exploring the content in that subject because maybe you only want to watch the five minute highlight reel on the biotech episode but then you want to watch the um, the whole hour on the data visualization, but then you only want to read the infographic on the blockchain conversation that happened last week. So that's another uh, big part to this, which I think you, know, you guys do add your, you, know, you add a good amount of story. Is it on every single one of the um, posts that you make? You add yep. yeah your own uh, researchers and visualizers um, have a body of text in exactly. addition. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and one other interesting thing about that as well is um, when you're looking at um, producing a piece of content, as you know, um, it's not only about uh, that big piece of content, it's about chopping it up and creating different ways to access that content. And what's really um, useful, I think, about some of the stuff that we're able to do is we're able to take something that is like a 200-page report somewhere else, condense it into that five-minute read, and then... You know if someone wants to just like okay I don't want to commit all this time to reading this giant report but I can commit five minutes to read this quick infographic that explains this complex subject the great thing about that is that you're hopefully going to stimulate you know a percentage of that population that's looking at that and they're going to be like you know what actually I might want to read the larger report because this is a subject I'm now interested in and I'm now I now have that um, I'm now an active learner and I want to go and learn more about it
1: yeah, yep, man. This is, this has so much to do with uh, efficacy of knowledge dissemination. Um, I love that, um, and we have a lot to um, to explore as well. Um, that I'm looking forward to talking to you guys um, about um, after our convo. Um, I wanna I wanna touch on. Um, there seems to be so much knowledge to pick to condense and further disseminate and given the sheer breadth and depth that has been unleashed with the information technology age how are you guys even picking
0: yeah uh (laughs) so so where can you start on that question right it's Um, I mean, the reason that we exist in the first place is, um, is I think that there is a lot of not only a lot of information and topics to cover, but there's also a general clutter of information, or misinformation, or or whatever you want to call it, stuff that is not actually super useful. And um, so, where we start, so I I think that for me and from our company's perspective, our, our view is basically like we're trying to take things that are complex and make them simple. Generally speaking, it's about stuff that's future looking, um, and it's stuff that relates to if you're an investor, it's your portfolio, or if you're in business, it's your company's future. If you're an entrepreneur, it's, um, how you need to build your business for the future or, you know, that kind of stuff. Right? So it's like, what, what can we help people with in terms of the decisions they make now with respect to their future? And so the things that we choose are, 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 are things that we think can play into that. Um, so uh, for example, if you're an investor, how the demographics of the world are shifting in the long term actually is a really important thing for you, right? It affects everything, because that means everything from the, um, you know, the amount of old people versus young people is going to play a role in terms of um, the solvency of governments. Right? If you have too many dependents and not enough working population, that's going to create all kinds of problems, right? Or uh, if you have a ton of young people and few old people, that's also going to play out in your economy as well. So this is going to have different impacts in different places. Or um, you know, as far as demographics go, things like immigration and things like that have an impact too. So understanding what's happening globally with that will empower you to make better decisions as an investor. Or if you're uh, if you're leading a company, you're also gonna sort. You also need to know what's going on with that too, right? Because um, what your next move is is gonna depend on, uh, like, do I move into the Indian market? Do I move into um, the German market? Like, you need to have a sense of what's happening there, right? And mm-hmm. and so uh, the future-looking um, aspect there is really important. So you know, demographics is an example of a topic that we weigh into a lot, um, but there's many others as well. Um, but the, the ultimate question is, like, how, how does this topic, is it something that's uh, applicable on a, on a global basis to people that they need to, to know for this stuff? Um, is it something that is going to have profound effects on doing business or making decisions? Um, is it something that you can do something about? Uh, because you know, if it's something that's changing and you can't actually make changes in your life or portfolio to deal with it, then it's kind of a moot point. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we're looking at those those kind of things to try and figure out what are these forces that we're going to uh, that are going to influence the future, and then what is what, are, what is the data around those forces that is the most poignant?
1: Whoa! All right. So we have where you started us off with uh, taking what is the continuation of our initial earlier conversations about having. This objective dissemination of crucial knowledge that is completely against the streams of misinformation, propaganda, um, and uh, I mean the internet research agency, right, there's all of these places that have... um, uh, deep roots in trying to disseminate things that are uh, in a sense evil or bad or trying to catalyze harm in some ways and then you have these great sources that need to be tried to you know propped up onto pedestals around the world and we like talking about yes you know visual capitalist yes our show yes in a nutshell there's all these other great channels that are trying to do their absolute best to get you awakening content around awakening that's you know really really solid um, data that's being compressed and, and shared with you but then this next point that you bring up which is that how do you do things like show where entrepreneurs or or Scientists or artists or other people from around the world, investors, where how can you show them what is coming up that is exciting next? And because it's not only about showing these trends from where you see, you know, twenty twenty heading, where you see the future heading in the roaring twenty twenties that we're about to approach with all of the, inf- um, the, the. Internet of, Internet of Things, blockchain and crypto, neurotech, biotech, AR, VR. I mean, it's all over the place. Quantum computing, where things are heading, and so you gotta, you know, show them that angle. So you have to be aware of all of those different fields and how they're changing the landscape. But also, like you indicated, demographics. Am I going to be taking my company next or making in, uh, investments next into Germany or India? And and how do I know based on the demographics in those regions? And something that's also complex to know is that you you do have to have some sort of an idea of the zeitgeist of those countries. Because our, in India, a lot of young people right now are using a very Gen Z-esque platform called TikTok. And so you gotta know like, well, maybe it's important to teach the companies that are trying to market into India about Uh, how to make 15-second videos. Dancing videos. Dancing videos. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so uh, this whole process, you got to know about the zeitgeist of that country, I mean there's so many things there's of course there's you know there's um, Hinduism and there's Sikhism and there's there's all of these you know um, also spiritual and religious sorts of things that are also very important to consider what are the main exports of Germany versus the main exports or imports of these countries of India.
0: Yeah I mean there's a lot of information to take into consideration right. The I mean we don't really see ourselves as um, a group that's trying to get all of that information in, in one place I think that's um, more of a Wikipedia or you know Google's mission or something like that right um, but what I think we can do is I think we can um, we can add some pressure and, and you know pull on that lever that gets people looking in the right place right we can we can help people find uh, you know when you're looking at um, an 80-20 rule or something like that for like of all the things that you mentioned about India and Germany, which of those things actually matter right for mm-hmm. someone that's looking at making an investment or going into business there right there's certain things that 20% that's going to make the 80% of the difference right so we can we can use our um, ability to parse information and to visualize it and to to hopefully show some of those areas that are particularly interesting that's like this, this is what matters here um, and you should try and learn more about it before you do anything else you should learn more about that so we can direct people into the right places by highlighting information um, that is particularly poignant
1: yeah i like the focus on that um, pareto that 8020 that's so crucial
0: well you can't do everything yeah. right and you and also if we try to go too far into the weeds then people are going to be like well what are you like what are you talking about right you're talking about um, this random subject in this random country, and it doesn't really have an effect on my day-to-day life, or it doesn't have an effect on my future necessarily. So you have to, we have to figure out which of, these, um, which of these items are gonna be the most interesting and most compelling to people, and also what's going to have the biggest effect on the future.
1: Okay, so given the subject of business and investing and demographics of a rapidly changing information technology world, where, what do you guys look for in terms of signal, in terms of the, that 20% that you're going to visualize for people?
0: Yeah, I think generally speaking, the best signals are going to be, are going to be business signals, right? So, um, growth, uh, like the rate of change of something. So the rate of change of population is going to be very linked to um, what kinds of opportunities are going to be there and, and what kind of... Um, you know and what's happening in the business world there, right? A, a, a country that's depopulating is going to be a very different situation than a country that is gr- uh, doubling in population, right? Um, or... So, so percentage growth is one thing, obviously, um, I think... Um, oh, rate of automation? No sure, automation? yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So if you're looking at it from the technological point of view, um, the rate of automation is going to be a big component of that. When you look at um, places like Korea or uh, Japan or or what have you, I mean, it's it's going to be ultimately a very different society and situation um, than it is going to be in somewhere that's where everything is manually done, right? Um, and so those have different implications for investors and for business people, um, and and for people and for society at large, right?
1: Yeah. So when looking at Business. It seems like your number one is population.
0: The well, well, like demographics, rate of change. You know, yeah, rate of
1: change in, yeah, of change of in general, right? Rate it's, of change in general. Okay, I see. Yeah. So number one is rate of change, and then under rate of change is kind of like demographics. Correct. Yeah, different categories. Different categories. So rate of change is kind of like demographics, as people are uh, the most, in a sense valuable uh, way of understanding rate of change. Um, Like again, is population decreasing or increasing? What is the rate of change that it is increasing or decreasing at? Because these are the people that are going to be engaged in the world, um, that are going to be the ones that are trying to create more value in that country, that are going to be bringing their ideas into that country, um, etc. into the world. So then there's that um, as a measurement of like economic success and stuff like that. But then the next thing that could be under this rate of changes, like how quickly um, technology is evolving in that country. Correct.
0: Yeah, so, so the speed of technological change is important. The speed of economic change is important. So like um, is GDP per capita increasing or decreasing and why? Uh, is trade increasing or decreasing? Um, so looking at those factors. Business segments generally, right? Um, so is this particular industry taking off, uh, something like cannabis, right? Is this industry taking off, or is it you know, going to hit a lull? And so people are trying to figure out what opportunities there are in the future based on these um, you know, emerging industries or emerging countries, or, or what have you, and you have to know if they're for real or not. So yeah, it's the rate of change, but it's a, a, across a wide spectrum of different categories. Because that's it's something that's measurable, and it's also something that we can visualize, right? So uh, from that perspective, that and that's kind of like, yeah, that's the number one thing that we'd be looking at.
1: Yeah, I like the ways of visualizing where uh, emerging markets are heading because it gives us both a insight into the importance of figuring out the best ways, I think, to democratize the fruits of those emerging markets. Um, Otherwise, we have the same uh, scenarios where uh, over 50% of all new wealth that is created goes to the top 1%, which is this continuous process um, that we're uh, all experiencing but then we don't mimic nature uh, in the sense that these large trees are sequestering carbon and nutrients and then distributing them across roots and fungal systems to smaller trees and seedlings. Um, that same process is very clearly not happening um, in our wealth inequality scenario. And so I really like this idea of can we get more people to figure out ways of microfinancing the emerging uh, markets and then having it so that people can just put $100 into those emerging markets and then um, get the fruits from that or have inclusive stakeholding as the social contract that makes it so that um, environments and cities and future generations actually get. Um, pieces of the pie um, as well I like how you talked about you know GDP and trade in that sense um, which are economic measurements uh, but they are also um, don't necessarily take into account the um, the measurement of someone's uh, spiritual enlightenment or their own um, uh, well-being and health so, so this is also tough because we want to try and visualize components like that. So uh, this is why we talk about on the program that something along the lines of, uh, of that that's, takes the, the, the full biometric readout of, of your level of spiritual enlightenment, which may be something around EEG, EKG, your microbiome, etc. Um, and could potentially give us an idea of how many of these 1500 billionaires and global ruling elite that run countries and the big companies etc how many of them actually uh, have a deep sense of interconnectedness, of unconditional love, of deep presence um, versus uh, egotistical tendencies and self-dealing tendencies and so I'd love to see data being visualized in that regard as well, because it's great to see, yes, investing, yes, business, yes, Um, at the same time, uh, can we also see the level of uh, spiritual actualization that this planet has and the deep uh, importance of that moving forward to make sure there's less suffering, make sure there's more sharing and more love and compassion.
0: Yeah, so one interesting area of overlap is that, and I don't think I would equate it to you know, that, that spiritual element 100%, but I do think that, like we do visualize a lot of data around things like happiness, right? So, um, and, I, and I think happiness is going to be as sort of it's as universal of a measure of that stuff as you can have. Because I think when you talk about spirituality, I think people are gonna think about that in different ways, right? People of uh, different religious faiths or um, people that are, um, you know, people on the um, meditation side of things. I think all of these people will interpret that as a, as a different kind of thing, right? Uh, whereas I think happiness is a pretty universal thing where you can say, okay, are you happy? Yes or no, right? Um, and I think whether you talk to someone from Guatemala or if you talk to someone from Russia, like are you happy or sad? I think. Even given different cultures and, and language, I think these are going to be fairly. It's not going to be perfect, but it'll be fairly universal terms, right? Um, and so, what's interesting is that um, we have looked at things like what are the happiest countries in the world, um, what relation is there between happiness and wealth or, or GDP per capita, things like that. And you know, it's not um, it's not going all of the way to what you're what you're suggesting, but it's a way to it's a framework to help begin to understand it and to understand it from a perspective that at least has that um, somewhat quantifiable aspect to it. And um, and there's some really interesting results actually, which is that um, in terms of GDP per capita, right, which is the um, amount of economic production per person in a country, um, that's actually linked to happiness uh, up till a certain point, right? So once you get people to a certain point, a certain amount of uh, GDP per capita, that actually raises their happiness levels significantly. And this clean, is this clean is, water. This is obvious, right? I shelter, mean, yeah. food, when you think of basics. it, it's pretty obvious, right? Which is like Exactly. Yeah. Having access to the most basic things, the most essential things. Um, the very like bottom parts of the sort of like um, pyramid of, of needs, right, that you, you have to go through. Uh, like Maslow's hierarchy kind of thing. I mean like if you can provide those basic things, that's gonna get you to sort of like uh, medium level of contentness. And then after that, it's, a- as you know, it's like self-actualization and things like that that are going to be sort of that next thing that you have to get to, right? So that's that's where things start splitting off, right? Which is like, once you get to that minimum level of, of happiness that um, that you can get to from material stuff, now this giant spectrum of countries that are all over the place in terms of happiness and some that um, that, like, actually punch above their weight and, and many that punch below their weight respective to where they are on the economic spectrum. Latin America actually is um, is really well known uh, for punching above their weight in terms of like their happiness level is much higher than you would predict based on, GDP, um, per on capita. GDP per capita. Which is interesting because then you have to ask yourself what kind of cultural norms and what kind of trends Exactly. In Latin America are contributing to that are there things we can learn from that and exactly. apply to other cultures um, and or your own life right to be happier
1: yeah versus the and also the seeing the opposite where uh, GDP per capita can be high but levels of happiness and well-being are low right which makes it feel like there's something about the it means there's ma- a disconnect there's a disconnect and the uh, the matrix environments that we've built, uh, uh, I think, may be the ones uh, to 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 blame in that sense. Because, um, you know, looking behind um, this this backdrop of of that that we have on the on the program today, um, we have the concrete jungle of Va- downtown Vancouver here. And um, as beautiful as it is to have these wealth creation machines that are cities. Um, we also understand deeply that there are literally, um, if you think about nature per capita in metropolises, um, it's, va- it's, 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 it's shit, it's, it's crap, it's bad, it's poor, it's, it's very low. Um, we don't have our beautiful um, interconnection and interdependence with, with water present here, with trees, with animals, with other plants. Um, with the things that we are deeply interconnected with. That's why um, uh, light pollution, so we can't see our beautiful stars. Um, it, there are so many aspects to this that um, take us away from, the, um, from the, the, the happiness and the well-being so that it makes it seem like, yes, we can take these things from, you know, why, what are the philosophies, the morals, and the ethics of places like Uh, Latin America where they have a higher level of happiness and well-being than um, their uh, GDP per capita indicates. Well, what can we find out from that? But also, what can we find out from uh, areas that have lower levels of of happiness and well-being? And I think that um, it's probably feelings of A lack of self-actualization, lack of of feelings of separation, lack of feelings of interconnectedness. Being stuck
0: in a day-to-day grind, basically, I think, is a big factor as well. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people in cities, regardless of whether you're in New York or whether you're in um, San Antonio, I think that it's a lot of people that live in cities are are sort of on that... um, how do you how do you escape that day to day okay you wake up go to work do your thing come back turn on tv go to bed wake up go to work do your thing um that's hard right Um, how do you escape that so i i I think that's totally a a question that's worth asking which is what is the what, what are the ways on both sides of the spectrum why is latin america happier than it would you would guess and why are certain places uh and certainly in in western economies uh, there are certain ones where they're less happy than you would e- expect. Yeah. What are the differences? What is the delta? And and what if you can determine what those things are culturally? Yes. yes. Uh, then there's something that you can do. You can apply that
1: information. Yes. Yes. Uh, this speaks again very highly to the importance of figuring out these variables that are influencing. Um, uh, the specific trends that we're talking about in this last point and it does take a lot of skill um, it takes a lot of uh, nuance it takes a lot of m- multivariability analysis you can't um, try and uh, uh, think in binary terms here um, there is a uh, uh, you can't have cognitive bias uh, or cognitive ease um, happening. This is this is this is going to take a lot of cognitive resources and a lot of patience. Um, uh, it it feels a, a lot like um, uh, I, I relate this point a lot to um, um, archaeology. Uh, in, in anthropology, in the sense that uh, we have very deep species amnesia, um, we, we we struggle with understanding that um, you know just a hundred years ago um, we discovered uh, the the Code of Hammurabi, right? We just discovered something that's almost four thousand years old um, that gives us. Uh, a deep understanding of the first primordial ideas of constitution and what it was like to try and codify uh, 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 an evolving city of people. And um, think about how many more things like that are buried across the planet. And so it's going to take a long time for us to focus our resources on excavating out those specific things in order for us to gain a better nuanced and multivariate view of what our species was actually like in the evolutionary process. And so if you're on the feeds every single day and you're looking at these instant posts from seven minutes ago, someone posts some news article, you know, really think about how much time they spent excavating out the data from that. Because the 24-7 news cycle and the clickbaity esque mentalities of the attention economy business plans are not focused on nuance and multi-variability in the gray area and what's going to take you more cognitive resources and what's going to take them more time to research and visualize. Whereas places like Visual Capitalist Simulation, we're trying to do our best to take that that longer period of time to come up with the most important gray area and nuance and visualize it in ways that make you uh, have a better understanding of the reality that we're in. Th- those are two, th- that in a sense is black and white. That is very binary, the difference between those two things. Of course there is some gray area, but really it's like, do, do, are your sources that you're looking at today deeply nuanced, complex, taking their time, visualizing it in a specific way? Or are they just trying to feed you something that you click on in a 24-7 news cycle? You
0: know, I looked through your YouTube uh, feed and I was a little bit um, surprised. I didn't find any outrage in there. Um, You know, that's how you get clicks. I don't know if you knew that. Um, But uh, I I was looking through and it it was a little bit uh, disappointing to see that clearly you don't understand today's uh, modern economy um but yes no i mean if you're not uh, if you're not geared towards um that and if you're not geared towards those clicks then um hopefully you're you're on the other s- and you know i think we found a bit of a way to i think we've been lucky in the, in the way that we've been able to sort of hack that side of things which is like that the nuanced complex um Hard to understand that side of the coin is the way worse end to be on if, if you're trying to make a business of it, right? Yeah. It's really hard, and uh, and I think that you have to use everything you have in your toolkit to get that information out in a way that actually has some element of you know word of mouth spread to it, or um, you capture someone's I imagination. Want to take this
1: analogy where you like you take what you basically uh, created as this beautiful uh, 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 data representation, sure. nuanced yeah. data representation at Visual Capitalist, but then what you do is this multivariate long process that you took with this, you find, again, just like the best way to to tell it Correct. given the attention economy, yes. um, given that, what is the one uh, graphic that we want to add to the post? What is the one sentence that Correct. hits both brain and heart? Yeah. The post, yeah.
0: And, and we say that when we, when we develop stuff too, right? Because we our um, writers spend so much time figuring out, um, you know, the topic that they're, they go through all the research, they go through all the topic and then you have our, um, our design side and they spend so much time designing the whole thing. But at the end of the day, there's this, uh, there is this information economy element to it, which is like, I, I always tell them that like 50% of the like outcome of a post that we're creating is basically going to be determined by what is the title of the post? What is the the image that shows up when you see it on an email blast or in social media or whatever? And what is your description of that? Right. And it's sad to say, but that those three things have a huge um, you know, deter- they, they determine the predictability of like whether this thing is going to have a million views or whether it's going to have ten thousand views. And um, you know, in our business, we want to skew things towards getting more eyeballs on things than fewer, right? And of course, we do a lot of things because we just find them interesting and we want to get some eyeballs on them as well, right? But um, so, trying to how do you how do you do that balance, right? Um, and and so the way that we frame something is hugely important um, in in terms of getting eyeballs on that so that more people can learn about that subject and yeah it's hard and uh, it's one of the ways that we've been able to sort of hack into the um, that it's not the outrage side of things but it's certainly the attention span social media side of things um, which I, I think that yeah, people want to be outraged. And people find ways to be outraged about our things anyways, even though they're like very data-driven, um, which actually is one of the most mind-boggling things that we experience on a day-to-day basis, because we get emails all over the place that's like, why did you color this country this color? And like, don't you know that this color represents something? It's like, OK, well, whatever, I don't know. Like, It's just a color scheme, right? Um, so there's all kinds of uh, funny stuff there. but. No, I mean, but we try and hack it the best that we can so that we can get some of the best of both worlds, right?
1: Maybe um, in a way it's uh, viewing maybe some of the more uh, cancerous uh, essences of the attention economy um, as one uh, disgusting way of doing it and then it's viewing um, some of the more uh, uh, these are like strategic it's tactfulness is what it is it's <coughs> it's, uh, it's it's compression it's synthesis and dissemination um, and rather than a clickbaity cancerous uh, uh, manipulation propaganda um, on this side it's like we're trying to uh, catalyze enough enlightenment um, around the world that eradicates suffering faster that increases objective truth faster that makes it so that people are able to um, uh, collectively prosper faster and so that's um, the side that we're coming at and I, I, I like being able to distinctively um, view those things because um, I think it's becoming very clear very fast that people are uh, experiencing the death of mainstream media uh, and the rise of independent media, but it has to be uh, uh, not only yes being catalyzed by the, the it is being catalyzed by the giants of distribution in many ways, but um, to uh, be able to patron those independent media organizations if you do believe in them uh, is very important. Um, visual capitalist just you guys just sold out your first book, Visualizing Change, which is epic that you guys had a sellout for the first book. But um, you and I were talking about this before we started, and you have a new book coming out in 2020 as well, which we're very pumped for. Um, But we were just talking about this before we started, all of that data from Visualizing Change was from 2018, um, and what happens in the exponential technology information age is that 90% of all new data is created in these most recent two years and then you know, so you guys have to be looking at basically the end of projecting towards like the end of 2020 as you're trying to make the next book.
0: Yeah, the, the best aspects of visualizing change are the ones that are, um, are either timeless, so like we did a couple things that are historical, right, so those are timeless thank God, right? Mm -hmm. Other things that are projecting the future out to something like 2030, like some of those things are pretty good too but anything that's talking about data this year, last year, last couple years, it all feels 100% out of date right now when I read through it which is why we decided not to print additional copies of it. Um, But yeah, it's all driven by the speed of technological change is definitely one aspect of it. Um, I think also having data from two years ago or even one year ago is just not optimal if you're trying to make decisions about something. You, and, and also the trends and the focuses that um, that people care about have changed a little bit too, right? The um, the zeitgeist, I guess you, you could describe it as like the, the feeling of what's important and what's not important. I think there's certain aspects of the book that I already feel a couple years down the line are not as important as they were at that time. and. So how do, you, how do you, when you're a data focused company, how do you, and each thing is something that can go out of date, how do you um, navigate that, right? It's an interesting question, which in the next book that we do, um, I think we're going to be trying to optimize for that, which is like, how do we focus on data that's going to be relevant for the next five years? yes And, um, and, and there are projections out there done by a lot of great um, organizations and companies that I think are, they could lend that data to us that I think would be good for accomplishing that. So look forward to the next challenge. And we knew this would be a challenge with our first book. As we put it together, we knew, oh, man, this is going to feel out of date in five years for sure. Yeah. But it actually felt, is like only a couple of years before it fell out, or felt out of date. So that's mind-boggling to me.
1: Now, let's have you give a couple examples of what is um, data that is uh, historically timeless that you're able to visualize, and then versus data that um, is uh, 2016, 17, 18, even 19-esque data. Um, we see this today where it's very almost obsolete in a sense to be talking about what was happening with um, the social media companies and the election and all that type of stuff. It's already kind of like, ah, what's happening now? um, Versus what is being projected out to like 2030s where everyone's talking about, everyone's gonna have AR glasses, we're all gonna be connected to 5G all time, blah, blah, blah. So how do you guys, yeah, let's talk about those three different categories.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so one of the most interesting things when you're looking back at this previous book that we did and some of the data sets that I think have not been timeless, um, one of them that really stands out is we have a visualization in there about the number of ICOs for cryptocurrency that occurred over the course of, I don't know, maybe it was over 2017 or 2018 or whenever there was sort of that boom happening. And now not only is, like the feeling about crypto is already different right people are thinking about the blockchain but they're thinking about the blockchain in terms of like um how it's going to uh, affect the future of business and society and not as much about the investment side of all these icos happening and and people throwing money in this new a new white paper for a new cryptocurrency and all that kind of stuff right so that's kind of just disappeared off the radar and not only is the the ico become less relevant now because of um of like token offerings and like you know the whole ecosystem has basically evolved. Um, so not only are they not happening, but they're not even really relevant anymore. And so then the question is: is like when you're looking back at this data from this that particular year, is it is it even useful at all anymore? It unless if you're looking specifically at what happened that year, I don't think it's useful in any context. So, um, you know that's an example of something that did not stand the test of time. And so it's like okay. No more stuff like that, right? <laughs> Let's cut that in the next book. <laughs> but uh, when you look at something like, um, OK, so maybe uh, world debt, um, showing that in terms of dollar terms and showing that in terms of uh, percentage, uh, debt as a percent of GDP and, uh, and that kind of thing. World debt changes um, sort of fast, but not that fast. Um, whether it's, so we did one a couple years ago and it was at, so uh, government debt was at $60 trillion. We did it this year and it was at up to $69 trillion. So yeah, there's a difference there over the two or three years, but it's not a game-changing difference. And then when you look at debt uh, to GDP of different countries, there's a couple of countries that change, but for the most part, you know, the U.S. is hanging at uh, 104% uh, debt to GDP, you know, other. Um, Western nations are around the amount that they were at before. Japan is still the biggest in terms of debt to GDP. So you, when you look at all these things, they haven't really changed that much over that period of time. So something like that, I would be a lot more confident. You know, make sure that we're getting the very latest data before publishing, and then when if you look at that three years from now, four years from now, it's still going to be approximately the same, mm-hmm. um, unless some cataclysmic world event happens where it changes that. Right. So. In instances like that, you can be a little bit more sure um, that it's going to be the same. So, and then here's the thing: is if you're talking about something that's fast moving, like crypto, and you're talking about something that's slower moving, like debt, how do you capture something that's fast moving, but um, but you, you can but you can still p- timeless and you can still predict out that's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's the toughest area to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with something like that, I mean. You really have to be looking at, I guess, you have to be able to have, um, I guess, like historical precedence for something like that um, happening and and like a comparison that um, you're, you're looking at this topic and you're like, yeah, I can see that growing and growing and growing. So, cannabis is an interesting one, right? So, cannabis is interesting in that, like alcohol, it had a period where you weren't allowed to buy or sell any, right? Um, it which obviously that happened a lot earlier for, for in, uh, the alcohol uh, situation, but it is analogous to the cannabis situation in that it was um, black market for a long time and then it all of a sudden emerged into a legal market, or it's emerging into a legal market. And so there is some precedent there and uh, and you can make that comparison back to uh, to booze and you know the, uh, the early 1900s and, and that kind of stuff. So, Stuff like that is interesting in that, you know, you, it's emerging. It's, it's emerging. It's new. It's going to be uh, a big difference maker in terms of um, it's going to have an impact on the world. But it's when you look at it, you have the feeling that it's not going to go anywhere. It's going to. It's going to keep. It's going. It's not going to disappear off the face of the earth like ICOs did. It's going to uh, keep going, and it's going to follow that historical precedent in some shape or form. Uh, where it's going to, you know, as, as uh, society continues to b- become more accepting of it, um, as governments are pressured to be forced to um, be more accepting of cannabis use and things like that, like, it's hard to see that momentum reversing direction, right? Mm-hmm. What would have to happen for it to reverse direction? Something crazy would have to happen, right? So I think something like that is, is a good example of something that's not only, um, you know, emerging, but it's also something that is, unlikely to revert revert or disappear
1: I I like how um, one of your sweet spots that you're listing for us here is the ability to identify what is uh, a prominent emerging market that's catalyzing serious business and technology change around our world yet, yeah, like you said, is not easily going to be reverted, uh, and that uh, how do you find then uh, the most important points around an emerging market like cannabis um, to show and to uh, inspire people to get involved with, awaken to and involved with, um, to try and get, again, the fruits democratized to many people. Um, And that does seem like a a really important way to, to... be able to build the future of visual capitalist um, so you gave we, you were giving us the example of books that's a that's a, that's a really big one um the um the 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 how often are you publishing um one of these uh um these really strong syntheses and visualizations um are do you are you guys um, on all of your subsections? You have so many subsections mm-hmm. on Visual Capitalist. Are are they? Is there like an equal distribution to a post in all of those every you know every at least every week or every couple of days? Or and then how often are they being blasted out in the mailing list? Um, and then we'll also hit on the venture cap or the Visual Capitalist Plus as well. We'll talk about that.
0: Sure. So right now we publish one thing a day. Uh, Our goal is to publish four things a day or five things a day to build our our way up to that. Um, We also want to divide things upon a, we're thinking a North America and international spectrum uh, in terms of the content that we publish as well. And for now we publish one thing a day and we email it out once a day. Mm -hmm. And that is enough work for (laughs) 21 people, uh, which is, speaks to the amount of effort that goes into producing these things. Yes, But um, it also speaks to the effort that will be involved in order for us to scale to four or five things a day. I I don't think that we can become um, a source of news or, or media that is going to be hitting tens of millions of people unless we're hitting a wider variety of topics, unless we're hitting with, uh, there's more quantity to what's being published. Um, and so and, and you also have to have those big r- really crazy projects in there as well that are just like you look at and you're like How did they put this together because this is so much information? So, you know, um, those really like uh, moonshot kind of projects um, And right now it's hard for our team to have the capability to do some of those um, But we want to do things like that as we grow and scale as well So yeah, I mean it, it's going to take a lot more effort and a lot more um I think solidifying our processes, and and just like what you stated at the beginning, which is like, how do we actually find things that are um, worthy of being put in this format? I I think that's probably the hardest question because whenever we hire someone new on our content side, they think, oh, maybe this will work, or maybe this will work, and a lot of the time, their um, their instincts aren't necessarily in the right. They're like they're close to the right place, but they're not necessarily in the right place. And so, how do we? find a way to guide people to that. Um, and, and how do we... And, and part of our mission as well, um, which I don't, I don't think that we talked about, um, but I think is relevant, is that we want to take our ability to uh, simplify complex information and we want to teach the rest of the world how to do that.
1: Let's talk about that, I yeah. love that.
0: Okay, so what we're doing, uh, in addition to, um, you know, scaling out and building out what we're doing and the, the VC+, which is our Um, sort of like premium extension beyond our like normal stuff, is we're also going to be building something called, (laughs) it's tentatively called Visual Capitalist University, Mm -hmm. which is way too grand and way too fantastic for what it will actually be. So I mean, maybe it will grow into that eventually, right? But what we really want to do is we want to build um, a foundation of knowledge so that anyone can say, okay, I have all this information, but how do I turn it into something that's compelling, that gets eyeballs, that allows people to Um, to simplify this complex topic. I think that's something that can use be used by companies, organizations, individuals, nonprofits, everybody in today's information age and in today's um, you know media uh, climate where there's just so much stuff, uh, so much content being churned out every single day and there's so much clutter there and so much information. Um, I think that it's something that really could help people figure out how to take things to the next level in terms of getting their story out, getting their information out and if we can leverage that, um, not we, visual capitalists, but society, if we can leverage these techniques amongst a broader, uh, other types of information, stuff that we don't cover, and get that out to people just as efficiently, I think that's going to be a huge step forward in terms of helping people understand more, helping people Cut through that clutter, yeah. of I mean, when I look at my social feeds every day, it's a disaster, disaster. right? I'm just like, I yeah. don't want any part of this. Yes. Uh, luckily, I have geared my following, the people that I follow on places like LinkedIn, to other people that do great stuff similar to what we're doing. So I do find really good stuff in there too. Uh, but it's still, um, it's still such a tough environment. And I can only imagine if, um, if for example, you live in an area where you don't. Uh, you don 't know interesting people or you don 't know people that are talking about the things that are happening mm-hmm, in the world mm-hmm. uh, you you haven 't moved beyond that sort of local scene of people around you um, and for some people that maybe that 's what they like, but other people might just never have the opportunity to find out what 's happening in the rest of the world, which is what you know why i 'm a big fan of things like traveling and yes. and experiencing new things and you know all the things that i 'm sure that you 're a fan of, but some people. In their information feed, they aren't able to venture out of their bubble either. Yes, and that's unfair to them that they can't see things from other sources and use um, use their judgment, use their uh, problem-solving abilities um, to parse this information and understand what's real and what's not real, and to and to learn about the world from not just one perspective. Uh, so there's a real challenge there, and. and uh, and coinciding with that, um, something that we did talk about briefly before this conversation is there's all kinds of media and news deserts out there as yeah. well. Um, locally in, um, in North America, all of the local news sources have all been, um, well, they've all been struggling because of uh, Facebook and Google taking their ad money basically, right? So they've all been consolidating and all been being bought up by the same people. And now there's a lack of diversity, a lack of independent sources, uh, and then of course that uh, also uh, happens on the, the rest of the the media side, too, right? Um, all of uh, business media or all of news media, all, all of these, there, there's a lack of um, or, or there are independent sources, but they're not prominent enough yet uh, and, and we need to get people out of their bubbles and to see dif- a range of opinions We need to get them thinking critically about um, What are what are your beliefs and how do they compare to all these other beliefs? Uh, We need to get people not worked up about hearing beliefs from another side of the spectrum, Uh, because I think that's the gut reaction for a lot of people and a lot of smart people that I know right now. Right, they hear an idea from a different side of the spectrum, and they are like, "Oh my goodness, like, how could anyone ever think that that's the right thing to do?" Right, and I'm like, "Well, you know, there's a lot of people and a lot of people have different values and like, you really have to understand these different value systems and things." So. It's uh, it's an interesting landscape, but uh, but our place in that is you know our small place in that is trying to do what we can with data to help build that out so people do see those different sides, like because data yes. doesn't the data doesn't lie right um, so to build out some of those things so people can have that foundation and and hopefully we can
1: start teaching other people how to do that too. I really love this um, last bit on the uh, Visual Capitalist University. Um. It's probably um, going to make significant waves um, with the overall uh, uh, enlightenment and awareness shift around our world and the transition from uh, heavy noise ridden content. Uh, that is falling into tribalism and cognitive ease into more of the um, visualizing and storytelling of data that um, captures people's attention and hearts uh, towards harmony, towards peace, towards uh, prosperity for all. Um, I love that aspect and it's great because it's the tool, and we've talked about this with Ed Boyden on the show and so many other prominent scientists and people at the edge of their fields is that it's actually super important that when you get to an edge of something like data visualization and storytelling, that if you can take and compact a tool and then share that with the world at large, absolutely, then it makes it so that everyone can then come on board, uh, use that tool, and start pushing the edge further in all of their respective domains as well. And um, I really like this a lot. And um, it is... It's going to be part of that tool is going to be the ability for people to share uh, <clears throat> a nuance and gray area, um, but also in their ability to story tell um, data that lands in people's factual, logical brains, but also in their hearts and emotions, um, brings those pieces together um, uh, the, uh, across all of the different ways that you can actually visualize it as well. The, the visualizing um, the data and having these great, like for me, it's something along the lines of how can how can uh, an average person um, take something like a unique piece of data um, and then be able to almost in a sense just um, have a bunch of Maybe uh, AI created permutational designs of how that data could look and then uh, pick which one they think is going to land in the hearts and minds of people around the world. Um, could it be that easy that I'm that I'm that I myself am, um, am submitting uh, something? like I mentioned on the show earlier in our conversation, just like, this idea of you know, species amnesia and only recently discovering a hundred years ago this idea of a code of Hammurabi and how you know, the primordial constitutions and how archaeologically we could find so many more of those and so maybe this thing that I want to share with people is about how there's so much opportunity for us archaeologically around the planet to find these things. And so where are the next destinations that we need to go? Where have the where is the concentration? And it seems like a big concentration has been in this area of like the Fertile Crescent and Mesopotamia. So, you know, maybe we do want to double or triple down on our efforts in those areas, but then like the Amazon has another big, you know, or, or like these areas of the the, the coastal like cliffs. Uh, Göbekli Tepe and things like that. Göbekli yep. yep, yep. Very rare. I love that one as well. So yeah, so that's just the general idea. Then is um, how can we disseminate that in an image that inspires and in, in a in a post that inspires people to want to um, uh, awaken to the potential of figuring out. How our species even got here, and you know, in what you mentioned earlier too about the uh, the the median age of of Africa being eighteen, when the imagination, creativity gets unleashed, uh, how can they have a tool like um, Visual Capitalist University to be able to disseminate? Yeah,
0: yeah, and I and I think, I mean, I I think that the area that we can cover is only so small in the grand scheme of things, right? On the uh, archeological side of things, on areas like that, you know, I'm interested in those, but we're not experts in those fields. So we need people in those fields to take our skill set, the things that we've learned, which we want to teach people, we need them to take those skills and apply them to their individual fields, right? So we want, um, I mean, ideally um, you have people that are at the best in all of their respective categories taking these communication skills that that we're um, going to be teaching and apply them to their fields so that they reach more and more people. And you yeah. know, we can we can speak to the the business and investing side of that, but that's only such a small side of the of society, right? So, um, you know, we we obviously can't cover everything. We've dabbled in a bunch of different areas, but um, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be better at teaching these things, right? And in science, right? Oh my God, yeah. Um, yeah. We touch on some of the technologies that we think will influence the future as far as um, where where growth will be and, and things like that. Um, but the, the explaining things like, um, I, I mean, going into the- um, Genetic engineering. Sure. Or, yeah. Or, or like going like the subatomic level sure. and all these kinds of things where it's like, I don't understand how any of that stuff works. I mean, like I, I'm interested in it, but I'm not going to be the one to explain it to anybody. Um, so I, I think that that's all stuff that we can, people that, if they have the right skill set, and if they learn what we now know, and we're, we're trying to, we're trying our best to to codify it and, and to make it so it's a system rather than just, um, you know, one or two people's intuitions, right? Um, and and if, we, if we can do that effectively, then all these other uh, groups
1: of people can take this and apply it, so. Imagine how much faster we could get to the second quantum computing revolution if quantum mechanics was able to be disseminated in a way that leveraged Correct. visual capitalist university skills. Correct. Yeah, I, li- I love stuff like that. Thinking about that is so powerful. How much faster can we push the edge and advance society in these great directions? And also, um, archaeologically, like figure out where we came from and be able to show that to people more effectively to inspire them to want to double down on research in these areas and stuff like that. Um, uh, Okay, so Jeff, let's ask you about, um, you guys have um, uh, a majority of the business is sustained how? How have you guys been able to grow to a team of 21? Yep. Yeah, Yeah. so primarily
0: we're um, an ad-driven media company. So like any media company, uh, well at least up until Recently, uh, most media companies are driven by ads. So um, whether you're the, um, the New York Times or whether you're Forbes or, or whatever, like all of these groups had a large component of their uh, revenue derived from ads. Um, so on our end, what we do is we, um, we have two types of ads. We have um, native advertisements, and we also have uh, an area called the company spotlight. Um, and so basically these are ways to showcase companies that fit within the, um, the areas of things that we're talking about, right? Yep. So like, for example, if we're talking about augmented reality as an investing opportunity, and we're saying, yeah, this is actually a really interesting space, our salespeople will find an augmented reality company that wants to profile themselves on the site. And so we'll have a separate page for them. It's you know it's not something that is in the editorial feed or anything like that. It's just a separate page. We build them a really nice graphic that explains what they're about. And we, we give them that landing page so that people can learn more about them if they want to. And that's a paid thing yeah, uh, where yeah. we're generating income from it. Um, the
1: and company then, spotlight
0: yeah mm-hmm. and so and then what okay. we'll also do is like through our daily email blast or something like that we will throw in and add to direct people to that spotlight to learn more about that exactly. company yeah. um, one more nuanced way that we um, we also generate revenue is we will partner with um, people that we consider to be thought leaders um, so we've partnered with Tony Robbins in the past that's great to take his book so he did a book um, on uh, finance and investing yeah and so he, uh, his team reached out to us and said, you know, it'd be great if you took seven chapters of our book and you visualized them. That's great. And so what we did is we, we found the most compelling aspects of each of these chapters. We visualized them, uh, we published them, and of course, when we published them, we're linking back to the to book. To the book. So yeah. it kind of ends up, like the ideal situation there is, um, it's a win-win-win, right? For us, it's good, engaging content, it's revenue. For them, it's a way to showcase their ideas in a meaningful way. It's coming from an authority, someone that people know who he is, they respect him. And for our audience, they're learning something and getting value out of it as well. And if they find that valuable, then they might find his book valuable as well. Yeah. So you're connecting all of these dots in a really useful win-win-win way. Um, and it's the same thing when we work with someone like um, like McKinsey is a good example of that too, right? They put out... They have all these PhDs and you know people that are putting together this massive amount of research. but as I say, um, a 200 page document is only going to be useful to so many a very small spectrum of people, right And so if we can find a way to um, take that information and parse it and find what's interesting out of it and publish it and say, hey, these are the key insights from this report and you guys might be interested to learn them if you want more, you can go here. you know that's another. Way that um, I think is a a win-win-win where everybody gets value out of that, right? So that would be another way that we do it. And then uh, finally, uh, recently we've launched something called VC Plus, Uh, and of course VC University would be in this category too of like something that outside of the advertising realm that people would. um, We will have aspects of VC University that would be free, and then of course we'd have uh, aspects of it that would be paid, where you can dive deeper and deeper and deeper, Mm -hmm. so that would pay for us like making that content. Um, But VC Plus. Is uh, basically a, a subscription service that's uh, monthly. It's five dollars and seventy three cents U.S. a month, and it's basically for people that want uh, the level beyond what we currently give out on the on the free side of things. So our our main business will always be that free ad driven model, so that everybody can get our information and everybody can get our data. But for VC Plus members, we go sort of an extra step of of getting them involved. So we will be engaging them, talking about them, what do you want to see more of? What do you what do you want to learn more of? Um, we'll, we'll be doing stuff like going behind the scenes and showing them like how we actually might work on a project. So like later this week we're going to be talking about something that we first published, you know, four or five years ago and it's evolved over time as we have published a new version every couple of years. We're going to show them why and how it evolved over time and what decisions we made and and they're going to look at that and, and they're going to be able to get an extra aspect of uh, context there that other people won't get. Um, but I think that uh, I think that will provide value to some people. Uh, and then we also round up uh, our, our top um, editorial picks each week of different other visualizations outside of our site that we think are really interesting or compelling. And so our editors each week will each submit a list of things that they found really compelling and you know that because it's coming from our team that is, they're going to be you know, quality data-driven visualizations that are going to be powerful and and capture people's attention. So we put those all on a list and we send them out every Sunday for VC Plus subscribers.
1: I love the um, the ways yeah. of being able to uh, take what you're doing and and uh, and. Create uh, models of, of sustaining um, and growing what you're doing that are like you said win-win-win models that are um, models around um, the continued uh, inspiration and awakening of, of people to really important um, knowledge. I'm 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 happy that you guys have figured um, and we uh, our show still has to figure out really good ways like that um, uh, as well. I, I'm, I wonder how many more opportunities exist like that that we still have to um, figure out where a, a kind of like a bigger dog can come in like a McKinsey or a Robbins and can say, hey are you guys interested in taking what we're doing and compressing it um, visually? Uh, yeah, I like stuff like that. That's really interesting. Um, I want to ask you some of the questions that we ask on the program that, um, that are really tough philosophically, spiritually. Um, do you think that we're all one?
0: You want to give Okay, so that might be a common question asked in these circles, but maybe can you elaborate on that a little bit? So if you're if you're pro all one side, what 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 are most people thinking if you're anti we're all one side, what is the what is the general thing? Because I can I can throw my answer in the
1: context of that. So Are we all one? Do we all come from the same source? Are we all interconnected? Um, Is there really no separation? Um, Whether you want to call it God or the universe or the multiverse or whatever you want to use as as the words, um, do we all come from one and are we all
0: one? Well, I think we're all interconnected, but that's just... a. that's the fact of reality, right? Because uh, when you look at um, complex systems and things like that, right, um, you have to be connected, right? Because the air that I'm breathing is literally the same air that you're breathing. Um, the, you know, or the classic example of a butterfly flapping its wings in one place is going to determine something somewhere else. I mean, there's all of these um, intercurrents happening all the time between not only people, but everything else, every other object, right? Um, and that's just a that's just a physical uh, fact, basically, right? Because um, everything that you do is going to, unless it's, and even if it is done in isolation, it's ultimately going to um, impact someone else, right? Because uh, if you if you stayed in your apartment all day and you did not interact with the outside world at all, that's going to actually affect your family and the friends that you had made before that, and. That impact on them is going to impact other people right because they're gonna be sadder or they're gonna be what so all of the, any action you take is going to be it, it as a fact is interconnected with everybody else uh, when you look at it from a more um base level perspective of like um, are we all uh, the same are we do we all have that common um I guess. I think we all have common heritage, uh, all the same species, all coming from the same place. Um, but today, I, I think that there's a sense that we, you need to look out for everybody else, and you need to be, you need to be cognizant of other people and what they're going through. I don't, I don't know if I would say that we're all literally one conscience or some, or one, you know, um,
1: group in that way, though. Yeah, I like feeling into uh, your process of going back and seeing that the lineage goes to right. one. Yeah, so that I 100% agree with, right?
0: Um, because we all stemmed from the same uh, root, right? So in that way and in the way that I described in terms of like physically being everyone is interconnected in that way, I think in those ways I think it totally makes sense that we're one. Um, I'm not so sure on a, on a more, um, I, I guess, conscious level of like uh, thoughts are all coming from the same place or interacting with one another. Um, I think there is... Your thoughts are definitely
1: changing me live that's that's fair but
0: that is also the business that we're in Um, I think that there's a lot of people who aren't in that in that that's not their focus of life right so
1: whether um, they're aware of it or not though every single moment of stimuli that we're taking in is changing
0: it's true and so so that is that is the interconnectedness that I do
1: think exists Um, but that has a lot to do with consciousness that has a lot to do with our physiology sure yeah. With our neurology, yeah yeah is then the most upstream issue that we face our feelings of separation and our lack of feelings of interconnectedness? I think
0: in modern society that this is a this is a concerning trend that you know we are more connected than ever, but less connected than ever at the simultaneously, right? It's a paradox, right? Um, you can send information to any almost anybody in the world in the blink of an eye, and you can, you know, we have um, we have people on our we have people on our site from North Korea, like four people every year. <laughs> I guess that's how many people have internet access there. Um, but uh, so, you know, you have this ability to connect and interact with people all over the globe, uh, which is pretty crazy. But at the same time, uh, I think there is a pervasive sense of loneliness felt throughout as well. And so this is a, a big paradox that, um, you know, we have to find a way to, to solve. Um, and, I, and I think that, tying into that paradox as well is uh, a lot of the, I, I think a lot of the things that you guys touch on uh, and some of the things we touched on here around information as well, because it's not only, you're, you're uh, at the same time, you're connected to all the information in the world, yet paradoxically, people are in more bubbles than they've ever been before. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing, right? It's the same thing as personal connection. I have more personal connection than anyone else in the world, but uh, you know, people are feeling lonelier but at the same time, on the information side of things, you're connected to more information. Like on your phone, you have all of humanity's information in one place. That's crazy. Yet, people are in bubbles and seem to know less about what's going on outside of those bubbles than they ever have in the past. Uh, so that's a paradox as well. And so, what do we do about those? I, I mean, I know what we're doing about that second paradox. Um, we're trying to get information out in in ways that I think can help open up those bubbles a little bit. Um, on the personal side, on the connectedness side, I, I don't know. I, I mean that but I think those two things tie in together.
1: Yeah. And then what do you think is the point of this reality? Uh, I, I think that there is I don't think there is a point. You don't I, think there's you don't think there's any purpose at all to this being
0: created. Uh, No, I don't think so. I think it's what you make of it.
1: If you were making this reality, what could you see as the point of you making it be? If I made the reality,
0: um, that is a, a really great question. I think that for me, um, I, I think it would be something along the lines of um, making sure that everybody is free in the most... Um In the most like expansive definition of that term imaginable. So not just free as in like political freedom or economic freedom or something like that, but free to do anything that you choose um, in terms of like being able to accomplish the things that you want to do, to chase after the things that you're most interested in, to travel to where you want um, to go, to, Uh, experience experiences that um, maybe you couldn't before. Um, So that is something that interests me. I do not think that that is the point of reality, but I think that that's part of my personal mission within this reality as far as I see myself. And so if I were creating reality, uh, I would would be um, hugely biased in creating it in something that uh, fits upon that kind of spectrum of things.
1: I love your focus on degrees of freedom and just the word free, I like that a lot. For self-actualization… Exactly. Th- for… Um, your and for
0: no one to tell you what you should self-actualize. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're free to choose if you want to become the best writer, the best spiritual teacher, the best scientist. Whatever the thing is, is that you want to actualize yourself in doing, you can do that. I think that that would be pretty cool.
1: For you to be fully sovereign in your own adventure of consciousness. Exactly. Yeah. I love it, Jeff. Thanks so much for coming on to the program and sharing with us what you guys are doing. I'm a huge fan and I'm really grateful that you came on. Thank you. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks everyone for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Let us know what you're thinking about all the great things that Jeff was sharing with us. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below. Check out all of the links in the bio below to visualcapitalist.com. Also their profiles on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also Jeff's profile on LinkedIn. Go and follow them and go and share their content with your friends and families. Have more discussions online about the concepts that they're teaching and make it a common thing to try and yourself compress really important data and share that with the world. Also, check out the links in the bio below to our show simulation help support us and to continue doing cool things like coming on site to great places like Vancouver, to have epic conversations with people like Jeff, support us on PayPal, Patreon, cryptocurrency, you can design cool merch and get paid. All those links are in the bio below. Go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you very much. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you soon. Peace. That's a wrap. Cool man, that was awesome. That was really solid. Thank you. Whoa. That was great. We went into a lot of epic places.